hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed the interview with Justin. He is an incredible human. I love his journey of entrepreneurship all the way back to childhood, starting his own lawn care business with his parents, to where he is with his Barra agency today, being a very successful real estate agent, but having an incredible background in tech. He was able to problem solve and create solutions for his own teams that drove sales to really building team after team wildly successful. I hope you guys can just appreciate the problem-solving factor and innovation that Justin had in really proposing an idea that he wasn't sure was even going to work, becoming the first fractional CTO agency in the real estate sector and exploding his business in less than a year, working with the biggest tycoons in the industry. I hope you guys find this story exceptionally motivating and inspiring from an innovative standpoint, but also just what's possible and what's out there for you if you're willing to lean in and solve problems and really present a solution to problems that you know exist in your market landscape today and how that can grow like wildfire. I also appreciate in this episode Justin's humility and really sharing his story of the hair and a tortoise and how he really just likes to run hard and then go slow and then run hard and go slow. He really shared some of his story around burnout and and how he's worked through that, building one company after another. I have come to learn that there's no one right way to do things and really understanding how we operate as individuals is really important holistically as a, as a business owner so that we're aware of that as we go through hypergrowth. So hope you guys enjoy this episode where Justin is now working with the top real estate firms nationwide and is highly sought after because of his innovative solutions-based mindset and creating a company and agency that's solving so many problems and giving time back to agents and brokerages across the globe. Need some effective tactical advice that actually helps you get results and makes a real difference in your life and business? You've come to the right place. If you're finding yourself here today, it means you're getting ready to gain serious traction in your business, rapidly multiply your income and impact, and you're ready to make it happen while living all out. Guys, I'm Melissa Henault, your trustworthy corporate dropout turned six-figure business burnout turned happy and healthy CEO of a multi-million dollar online business. And you're listening to the Burnout to All Out podcast. On this show, we're serving up innovative growth strategies, simple implementation methods to put them into practice, and action-stimulating inspiration tailored specifically for the modern entrepreneur. Let's dive in. Here we are, Mr. Justin Benson. Justin, so excited to have you here today. Yeah, honored to be here. I mean, honestly, my other day in paradise here in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's rainy, which is weird. But yeah, honestly, just super honored to be here. So thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. We were talking kind of behind the stage. I've got a lot of real estate agents who uh, are really going to value your story. But also, I have a lot of entrepreneurs who are going to be blown away at the seemingly overnight success, the highly sought after, the biggest you know, real estate tycoons in the world, like you were saying earlier, picking up the phone and reaching out to you because of 
solutions that you've provided um, and being extremely innovative. So, Justin, before we get started, because my listeners yeah. don't know you at all, let me run through your bio really quick. All right. For those who are listening live, Justin is the founder and leader of, is it Barra Agency? Or yeah, Barra. Yeah, it's Barra. You nailed it. All right. Barra Agency. And I love this. Justin says this is a place where problems come to die, right? So he's half nerd and half estate agent. He's built up multiple teams from the ground up and as a partner and owner has sold hundreds of houses personally and created custom technology systems and strategies that were needed to scale along the way. And I'm going to have so much fun unpacking this story with you today. He leads the team at Barra Agency and helping out some of the largest teams in the nation maybe in the world, and streamlining their systems, eliminating the mundane, and making sure technology is never a limiting factor to their clients' growth. Cool facts. Uh, you guys went from, what, zero to 11 million in eight months? Is that right? Yeah. Zero to a million in eight months? Yeah. So as an agency, it was fun to like kind of break that threshold of a million and recurring revenue in a very short amount of time. I'm hard on myself. You know, I had an agency coach that was like, Dude, you got to chill out. Like what the threshold you guys got to takes three years to get to. So, yes, yes. And your turnover is less than 10% with clients, which is yeah. incredible. Yeah. People are with us for the long term. So, we just try to keep doing what we say we're going to do. And hopefully that helps people stay around. So, yes. Okay. So, before we dive into the backstory, just so people really want to like stay tuned and listen in, tell me a little bit about some of the biggest clients you're working with today. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I mean, it comes from <laughs> CRM companies like Follow Boss and Thisu and Open to Close and Ylopo. This, those are specific real estate technology SaaS platforms, right? So consulting with them on where their product should go and whatnot. And then, you know, internally, as far as real estate teams are concerned, our portfolio clients and kind of who we are bread and butter wise as an agency really is. I mean, it's you know, Gary Ashton is number one Remax agent on the planet and Justin Haber, his best friend, who's the second largest Remax agent on the planet and Dan Beer, who's the largest EXP agent on the planet and Sunit, who's the largest, you know, it's kind of that Rolodex, you know, in, here in Arizona where we are, you know, we got the Lawton team who of not just at any given brokerage, but is like, I think Real Trends ended them this year as the eighth largest team that exists that walks the planet at all kind of thing, you know, separate of any brokerages. So it's been fun to work with them and solve a bunch of the complex needs of teams that are doing, you know, a billion dollars in volume every single year, which is, it's crazy. When I started real estate, you know, I, I'm not just the tech nerds. Like I built two big real estate teams on my own, you know, one that spans three states and sells thousands of houses. And they were client number one when we started this thing. And it's so funny starting real estate 10 years ago, I used to look at mega teams, quote unquote, mega teams as teams that sold 300 houses a year. Like that was a crazy amount of houses for a real estate team to sell 10 years ago. And now that threshold is thousands, at least thousands of houses a year and a billion dollars in volume. So it's been a lot of fun kind of scaling with the industry and getting to wear my little nerd tech hat because it makes my makes me happy anyways. So yes, find good yeah. friends. And Justin and I became fast friends when we were in California two or three months ago. And I'm going to have so much fun unpacking your story. Just sitting beside you, you know, over dinner, on bus rides, and hearing your journey and story as an entrepreneur is just really fascinating. And just the mere fact that I don't want to get the, the stats wrong, but you said the, like you lifted this agency up off the ground a little over a year ago. Is that right? 
yeah, started about a year ago and expanded by a thousand percent in the course of one year, which was, I've got two young kids. I haven't slept in a year, basically. So 2023 goals is to change some of that, you know? So. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you haven't slept. So let's just go back to the beginning. This is how I start my podcast interviews anyways. Let's just take you back to the first like rock bottom burnout moments that Justin has experienced in life and scaling. I know that you've been a serial entrepreneur and you've had, you know, many versions of success. But what was, what was a pivotal moment where you had to just rethink and redirect and pause based on where you were and what you were doing in your business? Yeah, I'm currently going through that right now, again, life cycle wise, as far as the business. Yeah. So it's funny, there's not, there is one big portion of my life where I really burnt out and took six months off of life, basically. But I have always been, as much as I've tried to be the tortoise, I've got friends around me that are slow and steady. They show up and do a little bit. I just cannot get myself to do it. Like I'm the hare. It's, it is, it is what it is. I'm a sprint and recover type human. You know, it's, mm-hmm everything for two weeks straight. And then I, what I should build in to my life is a week off afterwards or whatever, where my life goes wrong is I stop doing those recovery cycles and I just keep sprinting and then burn out. And through a lot of my youth building companies, and I say youth, meaning like when I was in my twenties without kids and I felt like I had infinite amounts of energy, I was prone to burning myself out like that over and over again, but it was fine. Like I didn't have any responsibilities. It was okay. It wasn't affecting me physically or mentally or anything like that. Right. And I got into the tail end of my twenties, uh, and merging into my thirties. And my dad got, uh, a pretty gnarly cancer after having a big heart attack that left him with a bunch of brain damage. And my mom was kind of stuck being caretaker there. And then, you know, I was a young married couple dealing with our own, you know, young married issues, you know, on the front end of everything. And I just kind of lost control, you know, like I got to a place where I just felt like I was waking up every day. I used to having a dollar to spend, but as I told my therapist this, I was like, I'm used to having a dollar to spend every day. And for some reason I wake up with like only 40 cents to spend. I'm running on like half capacity at best. And I don't know how to solve this problem. There'd be days where I just like get in my pool and find myself staring at a wall for an hour and a half, like not just anxiety, just literally crippling and not knowing how to solve it. And It's funny, I had to go through a little bit of a transformation in my own life where, you know, alleviating control. I mean, it happens all, but I had a really great mentor once tell me that if I can figure out how to keep my mask off in my 20s, I'll be better when I get to my 30s, when life will essentially force you to rip your mask off, basically, because now you are kind of master of your own universe in your 20s. You can maintain control of everything. And then you had some kids and mortgages and family death and unexpected illnesses and all of that stuff. And you just realize real fast that you have zero control over more than you would wish that you had control over. So I had to go through my own little life journey of trying to figure out how to cope with that and how to recreate skills and what motivates me and whatnot to reemerge on the backside. And that really did take six months of me not really doing much other than unplugging from the world. And I was fortunate to have that ability, you know, because of the companies in the past. So yeah, because you were a trailblazer, like you said. I mean, you grew businesses. You were you started out young as an entrepreneur. And I find your story fascinating because were both of your parents entrepreneurs? Yeah, yeah, separately of each other, actually. So yeah. yeah. And so I love that because I think that your lens and like, you know, coming out of, you know, 
adolescence and as a young adult, probably your perception and reality of what was possible was limitless given what you were exposed to in the household growing up. Unlike a lot of other entrepreneurs who kind of have to reprogram and repattern and break, you know, break through and do something different generationally. Can you speak a little bit to what it was like growing up in a house with separate entrepreneurs in your, in your life? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, extremely highly performance oriented household. So there was that, which I'm thankful for. But again, therapy wise, I'd undo a bunch of that stuff later in my life because I was just hardwired for performance. But I mean, I'm so blessed to have parents that poured these kinds of ideals and mindsets. What's funny is when I got to college, they didn't really want me to follow in their footsteps, though. They were like, you're smart. You should like get a biochemistry degree and be a doctor. But literally got a biochem degree and staring down the barrel at 12 years of school and said, no, thanks. Pulled out of that and started a tech company with a biochemistry degree instead. So living with them was interesting. You know, like I got all kinds of really cool stories about, well, my dad, essentially our weekends were a lot of work, but I remember when I was 12 years old, going to this fancy private school and whatnot, and all of the kids, you know, parents just bought stuff for their kids. Like everybody had everything. And I was the one weird, you know, what I thought reject in my world that like my parents wouldn't buy me anything. All my friends get a dirt bike. I'm like, hey, dad, I want a dirt bike. And he goes, cool. Yeah, you can start mowing the lawn for it. And I start mowing the lawn and I do the math and I go, I'm going to be 70 years old by the time I board a dirt bike because I'm getting paid $20 every time I mow the lawn. So uh, I went back to my dad with that problem and he goes, yeah, sounds like you need to mow more lawns. So we went to my grandparents' house. My grandparents said, yeah, we'll pay you $20 every time you mow. My dad said, hey, but that's not my lawn. So you're going to pay me rent for this lawnmower that you're using to deal with the wear and tear. And you got to buy your own gas because this isn't my lawn, you know? And uh, so I was doing that, still not making enough money. And I went back to my dad and he's like, well, sounds like you need to mow more lawn. Kind of a old feel, right? And uh, we essentially fired the neighborhood. And now as a 12-year-old, I'm spending every spare time that I have mowing lawns after I get home from school, get homework done, go mow a lawn, you know, on the weekend. If we weren't at church, then I was behind a lawnmower mowing lawns and I still wasn't making enough money. So my dad helped me go down to the city dump and we hired some help for me on the weekends and started renting lawnmowers from our neighbors and my uncle. And I basically had me running this like little lawnmowing empire <laughs> neighborhood at 12 years old. And I got like halfway there. I, in one summer, I'd saved a bunch of money and that Christmas, my birthday is Christmas Eve, actually. So my parents were real good at combining Christmas and uh, oh, no. my birthday together. So I woke up that morning and there was a dirt bike by the Christmas tree with a note from my dad that said, hey, bud, so proud of you. I took the rest of the money out of the bank account, you know, like, so he didn't even just, he still took that money, but he met me in the middle, right? So I have all of those stories. I mean, in 2008, when I was in college and 2008 happened to everybody, you know, I got this company I was working for, they'd close their doors. I got laid off and I could not find a job to save my life. I was on Craigslist every day looking for literally anything. I don't care if it's a job picking up dog poop in someone's backyard. I just got to freaking make rent basically. And my roommate at the time was a nurse, so he was actually fine, but I'm like paying him in my things for rent every month. Like here's my snowboard. Here's the speakers out of my car. I'll install them in your car. I got to a point where I didn't have enough money. I ate Oreos for like four days straight because I just had run out of money. <laughs> Yeah, things got weird. And this is my parents who had the ability to bail me out of it. 
to go to my dad and I'm like, Hey dad, uh, I need help. And he's like, sounds like you need to get a job. And I'm like, do you, are you living in the same reality I'm living in right now? Because nobody's hiring. I don't know if you know, but a giant financial collapse just happened. And this whole thing was like, I was just, I don't know. Sounds like you need to find a do- job. I'm like, I got credit card collectors calling me every day. Like I am terrified. Sounds like you need to find a job. And I just kept pushing and pushing. I finally found a job popping kettle corn at the Phoenix Zoo every start in the dead of the summer and kind of rebuilt, like got a serving job after that and paid off, you know, my mountain of debt that accumulated during that time. And I learned so many great lessons about financial literacy because of those hard lessons from him never rescuing me from that stuff. So I'm very fortunate to be able to have somebody like that in my life that did that. My mom too, obviously they were both together. So yeah. My gosh, what an incredible story. And I think that is a testament to kind of the nature versus nurture kind of, you know, that experience you had growing up gave you the tenacity and vision and confidence probably for where you are today. So let's talk about the birth of this tech company. So you starting out in real estate were a really, really great at real estate. Sounds like you build up a number of different teams. Mm-hmm. Where did this tech company like, when did this become an idea and when did you flesh it out and how did it happen? And how has it become like the hottest thing? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I was telling you. We're like the hot girl at the prom and we don't know how to be the hot girl at the prom, which like, I don't, it was not our normal before. Uh, <laughs> the idea, I mean, I've always been, look, I'll preface it with this. I've always kind of been by default fascinated by technology and kind of nerd, even though Front facing in school, I'll be the sports guy, play baseball to ASU, whatever. At nighttime, I'm coming home and building computers. During the summer times, I'm like going to DeVry back when that was still a thing, you know, like taking computer classes, learning how to network computers together. It's fascinated me always, which is why I bailed out of the biochem thing and started a little tech company with my good friend Aaron building cloud storage for somebody because it was just, it was kind of really what I always wanted to do. And then after that, I built a little fundraising company for elementary schools and that was a fun situation. And the way that I stumbled into real estate was the day that I sold my shares back to the company for that. They were franchising. I wanted out basically. So, and it ended up being a good decision. So I was going to a little brewery to celebrate with all my friends from this exit of this company. And my old friend, John Glut just called me out of the blue on my way to the brewery. Says, hey man, I know you're doing that fundraising thing, but you ever thought about building a real estate company? No, never in my life did that ever cross the horizon of things that I thought I was going to do next. And I was going to take the month off. I'd get married in a month. So I was just going to take the month off, get married, figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up all over again after the honeymoon. And my dad basically was like, I think that this is like a pretty cool opportunity. And I, I think that you could build something here. And he was the one that kind of showed me like real estate is pretty technically archaic as far as an industry. There's all kinds of stuff that could happen there. And I think that you can use your skills to help build a really cool real estate team. And then John, his daughter is my goddaughter. His father-in-law married my wife and I, so we're close. So instead of taking the month off, I went and got a real estate license. We came back and started building. It was just me and John and our hoodies and board shorts just high-fiving every time the phone rang making up excuses to why we had to meet new clients at Starbucks because our crappy office in Scottsdale was not nice at all to invite clients in to, to help represent million-dollar deals. So we built it from that to becoming a really big, I mean, number one team on Yelp and Zillow still to this day wow. uh, in Phoenix and uh, the Scottsdale area and spans three states now in San Diego and Las Vegas and sells thousands of houses and employs lots of people. It was a lot, a lot of fun building that, which is how we kind of 
I, I kind of cut my teeth in the real estate world because I was, for all of our real estate friends that are hearing, like, I'm not just the tech guy, like I've sold thousands of houses and I've been the real estate agent in a car on the phone with a new lead while typing a purchase contract for my last showing appointment and driving to my next showing appointment right. all at the same time, just endangering my life and everybody right. around me because this is what it takes to be a real estate agent. I have done everything that there is to do in a real estate company and I got good at building technology and automation because I had a background in it and I hated that little busy reality. By nature, I'm a creative person and I need negative space to keep my superpowers intact. Like I can't be on all the time or things go wrong for me and I'll burn out pretty quickly. I know some people that can be on all the time and it seems like they're magical unicorns that just get filled up by it. I am not that. I need some downtime to be who I am best. So I started creating that stuff and fast forward after building another real estate company, the only reason I left the Glutch Group is me and friends got signed to a record label to write three records. And that's a completely weird deviation in my life where we got, I'm technically signed to a record label and a signed artist and have I get lots of streams on Spotify, which so that's like my nighttime job basically right now, passion project. And then started another real estate company and then ended up in Mexico of all places during that burnout period of my life. So after I built another real estate team, just everything came crumbling down. Like I just didn't know what to do next. I was just so burnt out. I was literally contemplating like maybe this whole entrepreneur thing is not worth it. Like maybe I should just go get a real job, you know, like maybe I should just go get a real job where I don't have any responsibilities and just go home and hang out with my kids. And like, I'm, I'm done. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm really meant to do because I was just burnt out, you know? And in the midst of that, it did a bunch of therapy and it rewired a lot of the ways that I was thinking in unhealthy ways that led me to that place. Cause that wasn't the truth, right? Like it, it was just me being burnt out and thinking through a lens that did not see possibilities anymore, but just saw the shortcomings of what my body could physically do at this juncture in my life. So I ended up in Mexico with some friends that were doing this big real estate convention down there. And I was there to drink margaritas by the pool and hang out with my friends. I was not there to be a part of the real estate thing because my old business partner, John, knew that I was going through a rough go at the time. And he was like, dude, you should just come to this thing. It's going to be fun, beautiful Mexican wine country resort. It's going to be awesome. Just come down and hang out with us. And I got hoodwinked into talking about technology at that thing. <laughs> and by the end of that, like six more partnership agreements and real estate teams across the state going, do you want to come do this for me? Do you want to come do this for me? And I said, no, like, I'm sorry, hard pass. I'm pretty burnt out in building real estate teams. I think in all honesty, I got an, a year in the gas tank before I burn out all over again. Um, mm -hmm. It's just not fueling me creatively anymore. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. It just kind of, it lived its lifespan in my life. So from there, I came up with this idea. What they were looking for was not, I found in, when I was partnering these real estate companies, what ended up happening is that if the technology didn't exist, we just built it. And if the integration between the software didn't fit our business practices or didn't exist, then we built new ones. And that we, we crafted the technology around who we were as a company, not the opposite, because that didn't make any sense to me. And after being in the real estate industry for like 11 years, I ended up in Mexico realizing, oh my gosh, that's not commonplace in this industry. Yeah. So everybody else is like at the mercy of the technology companies and what they deploy and whatnot. So these teams were looking for somebody that could do that for them, which is really a chief technology officer type deal. So I told three of those team leaders, hey, I don't know if this is possible. I've never heard of a fractional CTO agency in my entire life. I heard a fractional CFO, fractional CMO, but never 
fractional CTO. And I was honest with them. I was like, I, there's probably a good reason. Like, and I'm just too naive. Like, I don't know what I don't know. And I think that this is possible, but it is not actually possible for reasons that I just don't see yet. Right. Though I just told them, let's give it 90 days and see if it works as an experiment. And if it does, great. If it doesn't, then we can all high five each other and say we tried. And lo and behold, it worked. And now we are literally, it's a fun little team here in Tempe where we are managing the systems and technology for a lot of very large real estate companies and kind of doing it that way. So that's really the birth of how it became what it was. It was completely on accident. You know, I was burnt out and finally opened myself up to like, well, I don't know what, you know, I'm not yeah. going to have the master plan in my brain. Yeah. And then end up with some friends and the thing just kind of fell out of the sky. So. Oh my gosh. Well, and you're so humble. You say managing for some big real estate companies. Do you have like a, again, I apologize because I'm not an expert in real estate. It's not my niche, yeah. but like, I don't know if you would call it managing assets, but it's like, I mean, like how many millions, billions of dollars of sales, like how, how big of a collaboration is this between your agency and the companies that you're fractionally doing your work with? Yeah, it really depends because, you know, we have some smaller teams on the roster as well that are helping us, you know, streamline systems, pick the right technologies, make sure that everything's integrated together and help them have a really good repeatable system that they can use as they scale as a company because they haven't reached those benchmarks. Right. So we do get reached out by people doing that stuff. It's not millions and billions of dollars at that juncture. You know, it really is laying the groundwork for a real estate team to be able to scale into the future. When you're on the large team level and you're looking at transaction counts in the 4,000, basically, okay, well, then at that level, we are looking for like, we need to save 30 seconds here in that task. And we need to save two minutes here in that task. And when you find enough 30 seconds and two minute little time savings within the organization at 4,000 transactions a year, you just found three people's full-time jobs right there alone, you know? So that turned into a pretty monumental savings on a staffing side for a lot of the real estate companies. And all, honestly, what's cool is that we don't really see anybody let people go after you because that's like the, uh-oh, bar agencies here to eliminate humans from their jobs. But like our whole message as a company is we need to get humans, like our, our vision statement is, you know, we get humans back to the human side of business. So like we do not automate things so that way you can fire a bunch of people and get your P&L more lean. Like we do it so that way people can be people to other people again and not be doing all this data entry stuff. And this person's transacting on the most expensive thing they're ever going to transact on in their entire life. Like, okay, great. I, they probably don't deserve somebody that is so caught in the weeds that they can't even be present anymore. You know, like we need to create automations and systems that allow people to be present. That's like the really big why behind why you actually do it in the first place because real estate is the service industry. So it really needs yeah, to be- cycled around that idea of service, not P&L profit. You know, we're going to cut all these salaries because bar agency just made the robot do it all. So yeah, oh my gosh. And you're <laughs> allowing real estate agents to not risk their lives anymore in the cars while they're going from one deal to the next, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's two of the questions I wanted to ask you that I thought the, the audience would love to hear about. And one of the things I have here is, you know, strong SOPs, earned you $90,000 while you're on vacation with your family. Can you speak to that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I haven't actually looked at those talking points on that one sheet. I had to put it together for like a TV show that I was on once, like extremely produced environment where it's like, you can say these words and you cannot say these words. 
So I had to come up with all these clickbaity titles for the, the TV show, like how I made 90 grand with SOPs while I was playing golf at Tory Pine. Uh, so essentially, the moral of that story is uh, in building companies, I've really realized that you know, standard operating procedures, boring, everybody that's listening just fell backwards in their chairs and want to die at this point, right? But until you have that well-documented and in place with responsible parties for every single task and process that happens in your company, you don't own a company. The reality is that you just own a high-paying job is all. And it's okay that that's the case. Like that's the case for every new business, you know, like for us currently, this thing can't run completely without me yet. Like that it's impossible. I'm still kind of the doctor, you know, I'm the diagnostician. I'm the person where a lot of that knowledge lives with, right? We do have a team that executes in a really awesome high level, but it's not independent of me yet because there are not well-documented standard operating procedures. But the cool thing is, is that we did it well enough. And I have this little test every year, and I've done this at past companies as well, where I will disappear with my family to another state for a month and just see what breaks, you know, and what happens. And it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. So I know that it's terrifying and it's at varying degrees, right? So the first summer with this company, it was, okay, I'm going to remove myself from all of the monthly meetings, but I'll still maintain if anybody wants to call and have an initial consultation, I'll still take those. But the monthly maintenance meetings with our clients, I'm going to remove myself from that. And we're going to see what breaks. And then what's cool is that you get to see the cracks form and get to see what is causing that and then update your operating procedures to make sure that that isn't the case next time, right? Though over this last summer, yeah, in the course of a month, it was actually more than 90 grand as far as like recurring monthly retainers. It was like 110 grand while I was in California hanging out with my family, going on runs with my wife and walks with my daughter and golfing with my best friend kind of thing while the company continued to operate at a really, really high level. And then this next summer, yeah, I will pull out of all the sales meetings as well. And we'll see what breaks there and see what happens and then hire the right person to do that job instead. It's just a cycle that we'll keep doing every single year until the company is not dependent on me anymore. Because it's not good for anybody that works here if the company is dependent on me. Like I'm one human, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. And then like everybody doesn't have jobs anymore, you know? So it's not some like, I used to feel guilty about it, this idea of freedom as an entrepreneur, but it really is the best interest of the company and your employees to get yourself out of the way. So, mm -hmm. so good and so true. So, so true. Okay. So another talking point I'm really interested in, and I can't wait to see you in, is it going to be March? My operations director is joined the mastermind with me. And, hey, um, that's awesome. I can't wait to get the two of you together. But I know how critical technology is to success in business. And you said that business technology shifts everyone will be making in the next five years. C can you speak mm -hmm. to that? Well, I mean, everybody's seeing it in the mainstream right now. So back when I first wrote that, it was kind of revolving around this idea of AI and machine learning, all these buzzwords that we hear, right? The wide open consumer world did not know what that meant. But there have been some companies that were able to do some of that for a long time. I don't know, like a Mac application, Fantastical. You could just type in, book an appointment with Melissa tomorrow at four o'clock at the Starbucks on the corner of this and this. And it would just do it for you. You didn't have to like book it like you do in Google Calendar. So what's happening is that that kind of technology has advanced to a place to where it's starting to become mainstream and everybody's freaking out about GPT-3 chat. I don't know if you've heard about it at all, Melissa, but like, 
essentially a chat bot that is capable of like saying things like, you know, write me a lease agreement for 123 Main Street in South wow. Carolina and Charleston, South Carolina. And it will at a 99% like accuracy level, write you a lease agreement with local municipality laws and clauses wow. and everything in it because it's been fed everything that has ever existed on the internet. So it has like 70 different versions of that in its head. You know, technology is getting further and further to this place where we're going to stop doing, I, I want to put this gently, people have said that computers will replace jobs for forever. It's just not going to happen. There's this ideal of humans that the computers are not going to become sentient and take over the world. It's just not going to happen. It's Computers do what they're programmed to do. So don't worry about that. But we will have this merging of technology and how humans interact to where in the coming like next six months, you'll start to see things rolled out where you don't write copy for stuff anymore. Actually, you just type in, hey, write a description for a review on my favorite, you know, taco shop. And the AI will write it all out for you about the taco shop. You just copy and paste that and put that into a review engine. You know, you're good to go. So you'll start to see that kind of technology rolled out in a lot of different places, right? As far as technology that's going to move the ball forward in the real estate space, a lot of it is like this data aggregation deal that the machine learning algorithms are capable of doing, right? Scraping an entire MLS for millions of lines of data and being able to conceptualize it in a very easy way for an end user. So now things like Zillow, fortunately and unfortunately, if you're a real estate agent out there, you probably hate Zillow because Zillow has not been kind to real estate agents in the past. But their ability to fine-tune things like Zestimate and get property reports and even create agreements in different municipalities is all going to become automated where there will be no data entry. You just turn in a document, the document gets decoded down into plain text, all of the right stuff gets extrapolated from it and put into the system automatically without a human interacting with it, right? So we're getting closer and closer to Iron Man's computer being a real thing where we just say, hey do this thing and it does it. We're already doing it with Siri and Alexa and all of the other apps. This will just start rolling out to all of your favorite applications that you use in due time here. So, so incredible. It's so exciting, really. Yeah. Sorry, uh, that's super nerdy. I know I went down a really nerdy no, that was good. NLP machine learning rabbit hole, but it really isn't the next frontier. Everything yes. else has just kind of been done already. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. And I think that the more hacks there are, I think that it doesn't do away with human jobs or careers it actually gives us the bandwidth to your point to to be more human uh, and get back into the role in the places as humans i think from even a healthcare standpoint i'm thinking back in my days you know i have a doctorate in pharmacy and even in my clinicals and when we go to the doctor's office even up until today think about medical records and the technology that's really rate limiting i'm going to go on a rabbit hole for a second but the doctor spends more time entering in information than actually looking in the eyes of the patient and having an authentic conversation with the patient because they're so busy capturing all the data that the system needs for documentation. And so I think that any, any advancement and how we can remove the manual labor of the human in whatever role it is, the more they can get back to the, being a fucking human, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> when we started this, uh, when we got, when we jumped on Zoom here, my little, AI bot jumped on with me that we kicked out of the Zoom meeting. But like that little bot follows me around to all of my Zoom meetings. 
It notates everything. I can give it command words like, hey, create a task in Asana for this thing. And it will just go create a task in Asana for me. It's my little assistant that's following me around everywhere. And as a team-wide situation, like this is, these are the interactions. It's a more natural interactions with robots. We're starting to give them names. Like our little guy's name is Fred. <laughs> like we, as a team, we call him Fred. Oh, Fred just joined the meeting. Fred joined a meeting four minutes late earlier today. And we're like, ah, oh, Fred hung over. So like it's starting to become this human interaction with a software, you know? So, and it even gets down to giving me connotation. If I have a team member that has like, I don't know, a 50% negative connotation inside of a meeting, it gets flagged and I get a notification. Fred lets me know, hey, somebody had a conversation with one of the clients and it was above a 50% negative threshold. And that gives me a cue to go check in with that person and find out, wow. hey, what happened? Like, what the heck? What, how did you get over the top of this? You know, so those are those interactions where AI will start to really become more a part of our daily lives and the way that we interact with robots and computers in a much more organic way, opposed to it being on a keyboard and a graphical user interface, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, my executive assistant will love to hear that because she's on all my calls and I'm like, hey, Blady, can you can you do this? Can you sign up? Can you do this in the calendar? Can you send that? It'd be awesome to be able to give that to to AI. Okay, so last question. We'll wrap up here. What's next yeah. for you? I know you're in the thick of it. What's next for you? <laughs> that's I don't know. You know, like I, I'm I'm being pretty open handed with that. That that's the one thing that I learned from being burnt out is that I cannot be master of the universe, and I need to be pretty open handed with what comes next. So, uh, a lot of opportunities, a lot of app ideas at play right now to kind of create our own software and sell that to the wide open market. Potential to build essentially a holding company that will have all of these applications under kind of one roof and it will specialize inside of a real estate industry and will be intermediary app. We're not talking about creating like CRMs and stuff like that, you know, but applications that help speed up the everyday life of an agent and a team and a team owner and a transaction coordinator. I think that that'll probably be the next frontier for us is to get out of this trading time for money situation as an agency, as fun as it is and how cool it is to be like a R&D department for the real estate industry, basically, where we get to figure out what's working and what's not. It still is a scenario where everybody's trading time for money at all times. So, and I'm not used to running an extremely low margin environment like an agency. So it honestly stresses me out a little bit. And I'm not going to run like a normal agency where they just staff up when they get clients. And then when that client leaves, they just mass fire 40 people and they're just fine with it. They'll cry myself to sleep every night if I have to get that has to be my life. So uh, definitely not doing that. So I, I really am excited to explore a lot of the ideas that are going to help build just more human interaction within the real estate industry by developing some applications to help move that needle forward. So. So incredible. So much fun. Justin, this has been such a good conversation. Thanks. Where can folks find you? Where do you hang out most? Where can they find you if they want to connect with you? Instagram, Justin, yeah. I think it's underscore Benson. What's funny is a PR agency told me they're like, you need to become an influencer, like uh, the thought leader or whatever. I, I tried with all of my might and I am not that. So if you follow me on Instagram, it's going to be a lot of golf and my children and my wife, basically like that is, you're not going to get a lot of automation real estate stuff about because it's like my little happy place. But this is who I really am as a human, you know, right. outside of these podcasts and stuff. But if you need to find us, like Bar Agency, you can just go to baragency.com. There's a button there to book a free consultation to chat through how we can help people out. Those conversations are super non-committal. Our goal as a company is just to leave people better than we found them in those conversations. So if they, you know, don't use us or they think maybe the uh, retainer cost is too high or whatnot, our whole goal is to give them some tips to set them off in the right direction, anyway. So 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time today. And I can't wait to see you face-to-face in a, in a couple months in the new year. Heck yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys, so much for listening in on today's podcast episode. I can't wait for you to see my upcoming guest in the next episode. You are going to love this keynote speaker. Hey, here's the deal. If you liked this, please subscribe and leave a review. And you want the latest online business growth strategies and exclusive LinkedIn pro tips sent straight to your phone? Text the word UPDATES to one 310 7171. Again, text the word updates to 1833-310-7171. Can't wait to see you guys. Come find me over on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you like to hang. I uh, cannot wait to hear how you are enjoying and applying what you're learning. You guys reach out to me over on social because I love hearing what's resonating with you. When you reach out to me and you send me those personal DMs, they really do impact the content I continue to bring forward to you. So again, come find me, Melissa underscore Hinault over on Instagram, Melissa Hinault over on LinkedIn and Facebook. Can't wait to see you guys over there.